Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who's starting his own streaming service that will pause as soon as you doze off. It's Dale. <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Just go to sleep. Yeah, and I can watch about three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Take you ten hours to watch a two-hour movie. Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm awful, man. Yeah. Unless well, it's really good, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I can go to sleep in just a minute watching TV. I know. My wife gets mad. It takes her like 10 years to go to sleep, and I can go to sleep in two seconds. Yeah, you out, huh? I'm out. Hey, that's it. You sleeping? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm just counting the buttons on my shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's the way it goes. Yeah. What's going on, dude? Oh, same old, same old. Yeah. Just like it is, you know? Just same old, same old. Beautiful day today. Man, it's yeah. great in the Carolinas. I'll take the 70s. That's yeah. It's warm for me. Yeah. I don't think we're going to have a winter this year. No, oh, I'm good. North Carolina. Keep hot mess. Good yeah. Day. I'm ready to start crying about it being hot. And the, and the pollen and the <laughs> sneezing and the blowing your nose and... Yeah, give me that stuff. Give me the allergies? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I like this time of year, though, the weather and the the warmer weather, but not the hot, sweaty, mosquito, yeah, snaky weather. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like it, man. It's, it gets a little humid in the drawers. Yeah, it does get humid down there. <laughs> I had to bring out the gold bond. Gold bond. You and your gold bond. I love my gold bond. You get a sponsor on here. Go Bond, you want to sponsor us? Yeah, Go Bond, just reach out to us and uh, reach out. <laughs> and we, you can, you can sponsor us. Powder me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just speaking of, anybody wants to sponsor us, reach out. Yeah, we will mention your name. Yeah, you can powder us too if you want. Yeah, do whatever. <laughs> do whatever you want to with us. Just sponsor us. Yeah. That's what we need. You got any good shout outs, about Anybody you want to mention? Hey, we got a few folks I'd like to meet today just to reach out and speaking of reaching out. We're going to reach out, too. Speaking of reaching out and reaching across and reaching, we'll reach all the way across the pond and give a shout out to one of our favorite patrons. It's easy for me to say. Favorite patrons. On uh, Patreon? Yeah, Megan Stamp. We'd like Ooh. to give you a shout out today. Just thanks for being there and being a pal and hanging out with us. Heck yeah. And we'll reach all the way over to Texas, I think it was. Jennifer Orcutt. We'll holler, give you a little shout out to you. It's been a while since we chit-chatted about you, and we appreciate everything you do for us as well. Tell you what, Jennifer Orcutt, she's been with us for a while, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's been, a super fan. Yeah, been way back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she's been with us, and she's helped out the crack house and hate you though yeah she's Man. really stepped up and been with us for a long time that's right we appreciate you more than you know more than you know yes absolutely we, we don't mention names all the time but it is very appreciative very much yeah anybody else you want to mention nope that's well, it. i'm gonna give I'm a plug being, i'm being stingy this week well i'm gonna give a plug on our merch if you want to go to the crack house web page and go to the store page and get you a t-shirt or do you something cool heck yeah you can do it I made a cool little TikTok about it the other day. It was cool. Yeah, everybody can follow us on our TikTok. If you can find it. Yeah, if you can find it. If you can't find it, just go to our Facebook page. You can find a link there. Or... I don't think TikTok likes crack. They might, may not. Must be the wrong kind because they sure like that other mess. I'm going to put a link on our Instagram under the link tree, and people can be able to find it there, too. Yeah, I, was, uh, I posted a QR code not long ago, so... Of course, it's kind of hard to scan a QR code with your phone and using your phone to look at the QR code. I thought about when you did that. I was like, <laughs> hmm. You're printing out a little or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I was like, what the hell? Maybe your neighbor can watch it. I don't know. Yeah. Here, hold up your phone. Let me scan that. You scan it, and then you scan it back to them. Yeah. yeah. Share share the crack house. Yeah. Share the love. Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. You, you might can't watch it, but your neighbor can, and then you can watch it later. Share and share alike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you might want to go to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star review he sure certainly that. can yeah Heck yeah we'll we'll make, give you a big old shout out we will yep you can leave us a little rating head on uh, spotify if you want how many stars we got on spotify we have we have 58 ratings and we have a 4.9 average it's pretty dang that's good it's pretty dang good yeah it's very good yeah i can't you don't show me anything but it's just stars that's all you can give on spotify it won't let me rate i think i already have yeah <laughs> well i'm trying yeah 4.9 average with 58 people who have uh reviewed you raise your own podcast wherever you go you damn right yeah heck yeah i ain't scared nah, i ain't scared <laughs> i'll rate my own podcast but other than that dude we're gonna get started on this episode yeah emails bitching words over two minutes yeah <laughs> but we got a pretty interesting case this week it, it's a yeah that's a good way to put it yeah it kind of reminds me of you know some cases we did before like the below massacre the mm-hmm. uh, bowling alley massacre and yeah. some of them uh, high five yeah, high maybe five. Uh, sun drop in a way. Yeah, yeah. sun drops, uh, 
distribution store there in Concord. Right down the road. Yeah. yeah. But this is an unsolved murder that we're talking about today, and it's um, pretty pretty horrific. It is. Yeah. And we'll let you know how it goes. It unfolds right before your eyes. But they, Our ears. But today we are talking <laughs> about the Lane Bryant murders. Ooh. I'm just going to give a little bit of background on Lane Bryant. It is a women's apparel clothing store. That's right. Yeah, and it began in 1904 goes way back mm-hmm. and it started with maternity designs it was created by a woman named lena himmelstein bryant Mal- malson i think that's how you pronounce her name sure we'll go with that yeah and it was the largest plus size retailer in the united states as of 2022 mm-hmm. and the chain consists of 448 stores in 46 u.s states which is pretty daggum impressive. Yeah. I think it's come down a little bit. I think there had quite a bit more. Yeah. Before, but I'm, I had heard read somewhere it was like 800 something at one time. Mm-hmm. But then they sold out to uh, a new company, but they sold what was like $300 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Took over. But Lane Bryant, they had some humble beginnings because uh, Lena, she was widowed at a very early age mm-hmm. and the orphan daughter of a Lithuanian Jewish refugees. But Lena, she supported herself and her young son as a dressmaker. Yep. And she borrowed $300 from her brother-in-law and went to the bank to open up an account. And the bank officer actually misspelled her name on the application. Right. And wrote, mm. wrote Lane as instead of Lena. It must have been dyslexic because he put L-A-N-E and still L-E-N-A. Yeah, this was in 1904. Right. And that's when the name of her business was Lane Bryant. But she rented a small storefront on Fifth Avenue in New York and started selling her garments. Yeah, the, the thing about that, her living quarters in the back, so she's living in the same building. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah, so she had some humble beginnings and made a made a go of it, dude. Yeah, her late, her late husband was a jeweler from uh, Russia, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But he passed away right after the son was born. Hmm. But she had some um, humble beginnings. Made herself. She come from nowhere and made, made it big. Made it big, yeah. Yeah. Kudos. Yep. But uh, we're talking about the Lane Bryant murders today, and it happened in Tinley Park, Illinois. And we're just going to give a little bit of background on Tinley Park. Tell us a little bit about it. Now, Tinley Park, it's a small village in Cook County, Illinois. I thought that was kind of neat that it's not really a city. It's more of it's called a village. It's just a village, yeah. It's in Cook County, Illinois, and it's like a suburb of Chicago. Mm Mm-hmm. But the 2020 census has Tinley Park at 55,971. That's a pretty good village. Yeah, and it's one of the fastest growing suburbs in southwest of Chicago. Right, right. And in 2009, Business Week named Tinley Park as the best place in America to raise a family. Well, that probably made the numbers go up quick. Yeah. People want to go there. Exactly. Yeah. I don't blame them, especially if you're anywhere near Chicago, you want to get out of there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in Chicago. Yeah, it's a little busy. Uh, Just if you want to go into town to do something, then just get the heck out of Dodge when when the time comes. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, but our story starts on February the 2nd of 2008. Now, this is on a Saturday, and it was actually the day before the Super Bowl, Bill. That's right. Yeah. Cold is a cold day. It's snow on the ground. Yeah. And the Lane Bryant store there in Tinley Park, they were going to have a big sale. Oh, yeah. Clearance sale, nine ninety nine. Yeah. The corporate office had sent out some. A um, bunch of flyers, I believe. Yeah, for a big sale. Yeah. But now this morning, uh, the store manager there at the Lane Bryant in Tinley Park, her name was Rhoda McFarlane. She had been reported that she wasn't scheduled to work that day. Right. But she showed up to help out a lone employee. That was going to be working that morning. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of stuff in here that we, you know, we doing research. You kind of a lot of stuff that contradicts stuff and wonder why's and a whole lot of that kind of stuff. Because you brought up a thing that it's always been uh, their uh, corporate uh, deal that uh, has to be two people open up. Mm-hmm. One has either have to be a manager or an assistant manager, and then a regular employee. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that it, right off the bat that it, it comes into the story that she was going to go work just to go help her out because she knew it was going to be busy and she was opening up the store by herself mm-hmm. so what well, we we don't know if it was like somebody had called in sick or or something happened or, or weird but it, it is kind of strange that she would be scheduled to open up alone 
Yeah. Right off the bat. But the two staff members uh, opened up the store to the public at 10 a.m. Right. And within minutes uh, of opening the door, they had their first few customers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And around the same time that the first customer began browsing through the store, there was a man entered the store through the back. As far as we know. As far as we know. Our research has said... Some places say the back, some places say the front. Yeah, and some say come in wearing, wearing uh, carrying coffee and the papers, and some say just the papers, and it's just kind of confusing. So we're going to do what we think happened. Yeah, and me and Dale have talked about this, and we say that he came in through the back door. Which makes more sense because he comes in acting like he had, an, had a delivery to but, bring in. But just to clarify this a little bit, you know, most Lane Bryant's are in a mall. Right. But this is a strip mall. Exactly. So it has an outside entrance. Yes, and uh, straight to the parking lot. Yeah, and it has a, I guess, a back entrance. This has a little back street back there for a back entrance. Oh, definitely, you know, for deliveries. Yeah, and then plus the uh, this strip mall was not very uh, full. I think uh, there were still some places they were working on getting ready to open. So this place was kind of alone a little bit. And a fairly far. new strip mall too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, by the time they opened up and they had the first couple customers, that man entered the store. Through the back door. Right. So we're going to say the, he came in, knocked on the back door. They went to go check. He comes in, says he has the delivery. Yeah. And everybody's like, wait, we don't get deliveries on Saturday. What's up? So this is when the store manager, Rhoda McFarland, she gets on the phone to another Lane Bryant store because she thought at first it might have been a mix-up. Right. Because, you know, you just don't get deliveries on the weekend. Yeah. I'm sure uh, they have a special day or at least they would know in, in advance when they're getting the delivery. Yep. But the man was a, he was a black man of average height, described as being a little husky. Mm-hmm. And it was even described as having a handful of cornrows pulled to the back of his head. Right. And one braid, which ended in four or five small green beads that hung over his right ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and said so he came in, of course, he had some papers, you know, a stack of papers saying that he was a delivery man. And Looking was, legit. And while she was checking into it, he was just walking around checking out the store. Said a lot of times it's kind of odd, you know. He was just looking up, like what would appear he's looking for a camera or something. The way the way they they said, but, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, like you like you said, she was uh, wondering what was going on. So even though she called, and whether she called another Lane Bryant to see if this was supposed to be their uh, delivery or calling one to see if they were getting deliveries at all, you know, she was going to check into it for the yeah. But it's even reported that the man even spoke to a few customers there in the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just being a friendly guy, it seemed like. Yeah, just checking it out. Yeah, but roughly about 15 minutes passed by before it became apparent that this guy wasn't a delivery guy. No. This man pulled a gun. Right. And began yelling at the women in the store. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, all the women in the store to go to the back of the store. Yes. And uh, they they took him into a, I think it was a, a like a break room type room. Yeah, that's what they, that's what I was saying. It was a, like a small little break area in the back, but it, it could have been anything, stock room, whatever. But it's it definitely in the back of the store. Mm-hmm. Now this gunman, he began demanding the employees get him money from the register, and he also demanded any cash that they carried on them, right? And like in their purses and wallets, and took their jewelry too. It's kind of odd to me that if he's coming in to rob the place the first thing in the morning, anyway, you know. Yeah. You know, he's thinking they're not going to have a whole lot of money in the register, so I guess if he's thinking. He's not going to get a lot of money. He's got to get whatever everybody else has on their person. Because, it, yeah, they're, just, they're not going to have any money, and they're going to make all their deposits the night before. Yeah, this is weird to me, all right off the bat. Yeah. But uh, he's coming in demanding money. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got a gun, so he's going to get it. So you got the two workers there, Rhoda McFarland, and it was a, an assistant manager, or I think she was just a regular. She was just a regular employee. Okay. Yeah. A part-time worker there, uh-huh. yeah. And there were two other women, and he forced these four women to the back of the store into the break room. Right. Yeah. And he ordered them to get on the floor. Yep. And at this point, he had them bound each other with duct tape. Yes. Then uh, he apparently brought with him. And the gunman reportedly made some kind of sexual assault toward one of the women. Yeah, I think he groped her. Yeah. You know, take out for what you want. Yeah. Fortunately, there was no sexual assault. Right. And nobody of the, were, of the, they didn't make anybody get in dressed or anything. It yeah, just, it was just the, the groping part. Yeah. Yeah, but the gunman 
would take underwear from a display on the floor and he put it over the heads of the four women. Right. I guess, I guess it, that makeshift blindfold, maybe. Could have been. I guess it prevented from seeing him or each other. Right. Now a few minutes would pass and customers continued to enter the store. Right. So that's weird. So he, he didn't lock the door either. So. No. Yeah. And two other women that had entered the Lane Bryant that morning noticed the robbery in progress. Oh, yeah, I guess so. And the two were directed to the back of the store at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. And one of these two women decided to fight back against the gunman, Dale. Yeah, she wasn't playing. And was apparently uh, treated pretty violently. Yeah, it didn't work out well. No, the gunman hit her in the face at least once, likely pistol whipping her with the butt of the gun. It's not sure, but it's what it looked like. Yeah, she was bruised and bloodied up pretty good. Yeah. And once in the back room, these women joined the other four. Yep. And they were bound with duct tape and clothing, then forced to lie down, face down on the floor. Right. And this is what gets me, too. All this took place over about a 40-minute period, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. At which time the gunman, who had seemed calm and collected at, at the beginning of all this, he sort of began to lose control. Well, he's getting too many people and too much stuff's going on. Yeah. Now, after the four women were there on the floor, all bound and tied up with duct tape, Rhoda McFarland, the manager, she still had her Bluetooth in her ear. Yep. And she was able to secretly call 911. And the call was received by Will County Sheriff's Department and was quickly transferred to the Tinley Park Police, who held uh, jurisdiction over this crime scene. Right. And the police have never released the full content of this call. But, Dale, we have this 911 call right here. Okay. 911. I can't understand half of what this gunman's saying in this 911 call, but it sounds like he's getting pretty aggravated. Right. It, well, you hear her whisper, and then you know they tell her don't don't hang up. We'll get the right one, and he probably heard. Heard maybe the operator saying something back to her, maybe. Could have been. Yeah, because. Well, she whispered, and I think he could hear it through her her earpiece. Yeah. Probably where he heard it. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, he's getting a little aggravated and didn't figure out what's going on here. But it was just a seconds after Rhoda McFarland dialed 911 and whispered, you know, the information to the dispatchers, the gunman opened fire on each of the six hostages. Yeah. I think, you know, he's aggravated. I don't know if he was looking for more money. I don't know if he was looking for a safe. I don't know what he was there for, but it, it don't seem, it's it's kind of odd to me that it's even a robbery at all, you know, because none of it makes sense. Yeah. You know, robbery guys usually in and out and got to get away as quick as possible. And like you said, he's, he's already spent 40 minutes in there. Yeah. Before, before any of this even happens. That's what's crazy to, to rob the place. You think you'd, if you're going to rob, you're going to get in and get out. Right. Take the money and go. You know, you can kind of hear him hollering in some words. You know, he's like, whatever, I'm tired of this bullshit. Or, or you can hear whoever it is. Yeah. That's kind of sketchy, too. So I don't know. But anyway. But he did shoot all the women execution style. Yes. Laying in the floor. Yeah, Rhoda being one only one shot straight in the forehead. The rest were shot in the back. Point of the blank head. in the in the forehead. Yeah. yeah, that's that's just crazy, man. Yeah. But the store employee that had opened the store along with Rhoda would manage to survive, Dale. Yeah, we'll call her Martha. Yeah, I think that's the name that the the press had dubbed her. Right. But when the gunman put the gun against her to to shoot her, she turned her head quickly. And I think the bullet just grazed her neck. Yeah. So she just played dead with everybody else. Yeah. And she yeah, she played dead until he left the, the scene. Yes. And waited there for help to arrive. Mm-hmm. Now, police, they responded pretty quick. Very quick. Yep. And it had been reported that Martha, in quotes, the one that survived, the, like I said, they've never released her name. Right. She even heard sirens. Yeah, while before, laying there. While the, the gunman was still in there. Mm-hmm. But police responded pretty quickly, and by the time that Rhoda McFarland dialed 911, an officer had been just a few hundred feet away in the parking lot 
of the neighboring super target. Right. And he arrived the scene just within a minute. Yeah, he didn't hear the gunshots or anything. He said, you know, because of the, the there's an interstate right right behind this place. Yeah. So probably from traffic noise and then whatever he's doing, he didn't hear it. But when he got the call, I mean, he's there within one minute. I mean, I mean, damn, help. I mean, how much better can you get than that? Yeah, exactly. And at this point, the gunman appeared to have made a, a pretty quick getaway and was already gone by the time the officer right. began sweeping the store. Now, you know, we said you'd probably take him a little bit more in a minute. He probably pulled up in the parking lot in a minute and get out, you know, but he's not going to go running straight in because he has no idea what's going on. Heck no. All they know is is somebody called and whispered that something's going on in the Lane Bright. Yeah. So, but the time he get in there, he's already gone. So, our deduction is he went out the back door. Uh, that's what I'm saying, too. Because if he came out the front, I mean, even if the you would see him running or driving away because that's that's really quick yeah yeah i mean you think about it by the time she called he hadn't even shot anybody then exactly still hooting and raising hell and all this stuff and then whenever hey she's he shot six people yeah and then got away before the police got in there within a minute yeah so yeah that's quick that's very quick yeah but the officer was the one who discovered the five bodies in the back room of the Lane Bryant, as well as the survivor, Martha. Right. And he called in the details to dispatch. Yeah, the reason they call her to Martha is because when she survived, they first come out, they said that all victims were killed because they didn't want the, the killer to know that somebody survived just for her safety. Yeah, and to come back and try to take her out. Right. Yeah. So they had first announced to the media that everyone was killed. Yeah, but yeah. They, they quickly rushed her to the hospital, and she was able to Secretly, give a, yeah. a lot of information. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that when we get into it. Just so it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Now, just within minutes, uh, other officers began arriving alongside ambulances and paramedics who attempted to treat the six female shooting victims. Yeah. But unfortunately, like we said, only one would survive. Mm. The other five were pronounced dead at the scene. Right. So there you go again. Now... He came in and got whatever little money's in the restaurant, whatever little jewelry he had, and he's killed five people. And he said approximately $200 what he got away with. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of odd to me, too, because, I mean, we do this a lot. And there's not a whole lot of people who are so, so-called so uh, robbery guys who are looking to kill people. I know. You know, they they don't want, usually anybody coming to stick somebody up, they don't want any confrontation, really. They want to pull a gun, give me the money, and I'm running. Mm-hmm. You know, but... This guy comes in like he's going to rob, but he has no any kind of uh, disguise or anything. He just comes in and acts like he's a truck driver. He has papers saying he has a delivery. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's his ruse, yeah. That, that just blows my mind, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But Tenley Park officers were joined by other officers from neighboring cities and counties, and they began locking down entire Brookside marketplaces where Lane Bryant was, was housed. And... They even uh, went into Target and other popular retail chains and restaurants. In the PetSmart, yeah. Yeah. I even heard uh, one guy say that his wife was in one of these stores when they came in and police come in with their hands on their holsters and some actually with their guns out, come in the store and lock the doors and then go through it everywhere and then go back out and tell them, do not leave the store and have the door locked when they left. Yeah. Until they come back and told them it was okay. Mm-hmm. So they went through sweeping, looking hard. Yeah. Yeah. There was even a black man. His name was Sean Tyus, and the police found him sitting in his car in the Target parking lot, and he was apprehended at the scene, and police began examining the soles of his shoes. Right. But ultimately detained him for more than an hour, repeatedly asking, where's the gun? And they would also ask him if he'd removed the beads from the braided hair. Right. Which he answered, you know, he hadn't he hadn't done anything. Right. He was just waiting for waiting in the car for his girlfriend. Yeah. Just kind of one of them in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, you understand, you know, they got to do what they got to do. But I'm sure he was like, "What in the hell is going on?" Yeah. I'm just waiting for my girlfriend. Here I am. Look, they fixing to take me down. Yep. But over the next several hours, police would bring out a helicopter and scour the area, the shopping center, and even search the re- retention pond nearby in search of a murder weapon and they they didn't find anything just off of interstate 80 yeah this was you know just running right there so the killer was able to get away could hit that interstate and be gone yeah yeah possibly even out of state within you know an hour or less yeah depending on which way he's going so you know if he hit that and gone you're not going to find him but who knows which way he went we don't know 
Yep. Let's say that they come in and done a hell of a job trying to do this. But then, I mean, they come in, we were there within minutes, and then just within hours they got the helicopters and everything else. Yeah, they were on the ball. seemed like they'd done everything they could do. Yeah. Right. They were. They were on the ball in this case. But they they cordoned off this whole area, man, trying to to find anything they could. Yeah. Yeah. Hell of a job. Kudos to them guys. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the victims. Okay. Now, Rhoda McFarland, she was the manager of the store. Right. And she was born Rhoda Hamilton on January the 10th of 1966. And she grew up in a relatively large family in Joliet, Illinois. This was a town on the outskirts of Chicago. And she had three brothers and one sister and was a pretty courageous kid who was smart, hardworking, and just an all-around good girl. And after graduating from Lyons Township High School in 1984, hey, I graduated high school, Rhoda enlisted in the U.S. Air Force, where she would become a nurse practitioner. And for about three years, Rhoda was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base. This is over in Prince George County, Maryland. And she would remain in the Air Force Reserves following her enlistment. Hmm. And after getting out of the service, Rhoda returned to the Chicago area and decided to get involved in her local church. And she became a pastoral assistant at the Embassy Christian Center in Crest Hill. This was just a few miles away from where she had grown up in Joliet. And she would work at the church for several years, kickstarting a lot of youth programs and even doing what she could do to integrate inmates back into society. She's doing a lot, wasn't she? Yeah. And there she even started a project called Princess Unveiled, which was aimed at helping young girls prepare for adulthood. Right. Just counseling and different things like that. Good stuff. Yep. Now, Rhoda had applied to the Lane Bryant store with intentions of just working there for a bit until she found something better. But, right. And she never meant to be any kind of permanent job, but she was soon offered the job of store manager and quickly discovered that she enjoyed working there. Right. Very fulfilling for her. Yeah. And she soon began settling into her new new role as manager, and as the Chicago Tribune would later note, kept up her charitable side business and was using her store to even. She was, uh, she was using her store discount to yes. purchase clothing for uh, the less fortunate. Yeah, which was very commendable. So this is this chick is top of the line, man. Yeah. Now uh, Rhoda had a brother. His name was Maurice Hamilton. He would later recount to the Chicago Tribune as saying Rhoda was a great person. She'd do anything for you. If you needed a dollar and she only had a dollar, she'd give it to you without asking. Right. Yeah, so good, just, she's good people, man. Yeah, she's my kind of people. Right. Yeah. But throughout the winter of two thousand seven and two thousand eight, Rhoda had stayed engaged at work and found herself coming in coming in on days that she wasn't scheduled to work. Right, like this day. Yeah. She wasn't even scheduled. Yeah. It's kind of like the lady in the, the bowling alley thing, you know. She wasn't even supposed to be there, and, and yeah. all this happened. But uh, her coming in, unbeknownst to her, it, it was a decision that ultimately cost her her life, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I mean to step on you there. No, that's okay, dude. Now, our, the next victim was a lady by the name of Sarah Zenfransky. She was the youngest of the victims and was just 22 years old at the time of her death, Dale. Mm-hmm. And she was the oldest of three children, and Sarah had graduated from St. Damien's. It's a private Catholic school in Oak Forest. And while there, she had excelled in numerous academic activities and organizations, such as the Academic Talented Program, Interact Club, Mathlete, Safari, and Spanish Club, and she loved to play board games. She's smart. Yeah, and often spent the weekends with her boyfriend, Brian, who was every bit of a shut-in as Sarah was. <laughs> May freeze you. Yeah, I love me some shut-ins, man. <laughs> and Sarah had just recently graduated from Northern Illinois University in May of 2007. Yeah, she already had a job. Yeah. You know, lined up at a CNA Financial in Chicago. Yeah. Actually, that's why she was at uh, Lane Bryant. She went to go buy her some new clothes for work. Man. Mm. But everyone remembered Sarah as a loving, bubbling, smart, and kind person. And a statement released by her family after her death read, Our emotions are raw and we are still in shock. There is nothing adequate anyone can say at this time like this. Sarah was loved by all who knew her, and we're counting on that love to sustain us while we mourn. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine, dude. No, you're just going to the store, man. Yep. Grab something. 
And our next victim is uh, Carrie Chiuso. She was from Frankfurt, Illinois. She was 33 years old at the time of her death. And she was the first victim to be buried after the shooting. And her memorial was held in Homewood. This is inside the same church that Carrie and her husband, Tony, had gotten married less than two years prior. And the two had just recently started talking about having kids, man. And they were planning to start expanding their family in the coming months. Mm. Yeah. And But Carrie was remembered as much more than a shooting victim. She was a graduate from both DePaul and Loyola, where she had earned a bachelor's and master's degree, respectively. And she had become a social worker and helped at-risk youth at the same high school that she had graduated from. That's a tough job. Yeah. So on the evening of February the 2nd, she was planning to meet up with some former classmates from well, the, You know, the, in these former classmates, they had been on her forever to go have a, let's go have a girls' night out. And they finally had talked her into it. So yeah. she was going to go get her new outfit. At Lane Bryant, yeah. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's just so tragic, man. Every, every one of these girls, every, it's like it was just weird that they were even there. I know. Think about it. The only one that was scheduled to, to be there lived. Yeah. All the rest of them was just either there to go grab something quick and get out of there or just stopping by or just in there to kill time or like uh, with uh, Rhoda just coming in to help her out. Wow. Yeah. Just kind of hit me there. That is crazy. And I hadn't thought about that. Wow. But now talking about Carrie, uh, the principal at the high school that Carrie worked at, his name was Vaughn Mansfield, uh, he spoke at her memorial and said, where people are ordinary, Carrie put extra in front of ordinary. Right. She quietly was part of all that we do. Wow. Tell me, man. Yeah. The next victim was a lady by the name of Connie Woolfolk. She was 37 years old at the time of the shooting, and she lived in Flossmoor, Illinois. This was about eight miles east of Tenley Park. And at the time, she'd been working overnight at Target just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And the same Target that shared the parking lot with Lane Bryant, just right across the parking lot there. Mm -hmm. But she had also recently started a mortgage company alongside her mother who lived with her and her two sons. And Connie's sons were age 16 and 10. The oldest ironically attended Homewood Flossmoor High School, the same high school that fellow victim Carrie Chioso worked at. Right. Her youngest son, who was just 10 at the time of the shooting, suffered from spina bifida. And he required a lot of time from Connie, man. Right. And Dorothy Rice, this was Connie's sister, remembered her as she had a way of showing love, pure love. Just pure love, man. Yeah. So I guess her son had spina bifida, man. It was taking a lot of her time. Yeah. Yeah. And she's right there for him. Yeah. And that's how people remember Connie. She was known to love her family a lot right and she worked hard to provide a good life for them and she was also known to fight for those that she cared for and is believed that connie was the woman who fought back against the gunman right she was the one yeah because uh she had some blood and she and she also had some blood under her fingernails had been reported yes yes but she had just come from a manicure and pedicure at that time because mm. yeah yeah <laughs> crazy yep now, Connie's brother, his name was Aaron Wolfolk, and he later told reporters that she was beat up pretty bad. Yeah. Well, he, the gunman, must have had pistol whipped her, then beat her up pretty bad. But in addition to the bumps and bruises on her face, officials would remark that they found scratch marks on Connie's body as well as blood on her fingernails, like we mentioned. Hmm. And possibly the blood of the gunman, which gave uh, the police a potential DNA sample. The fifth victim was Jennifer Bishop. She was a 34-year-old woman from South Bend, Indiana. And unlike the other victims, Jennifer had several young kids, Mm -hmm. three under the age of eight. But Jenny, as she was known, worked at South Bend's Memorial Hospital as an intensive care nurse. And she worked at the hospital for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. having worked her way up from the bottom to being a shift supervisor. And Nancy Pemberton, she was the hospital administrator's supervisor, told reporters with the Chicago Tribune. She said, a Memorial Hospital is a level two trauma center. These nurses take care of gunshot victims, the worst of the worst. But when it's one of your own, it's unbelievable. The intensive care nurses are in a state of shock. 
total disbelief. Jeannie had beautiful eyes. She was an exceptional person and an exceptional nurse because she was so very caring to everyone. Yeah. On the Saturday in question, Jeannie had traveled to Tinley Park with her husband, Brian, who was attending a work conference in town that day. Yeah, it was like a roofing conference. Yeah. And she was just there. I think somebody had given her um, gift a, card or a gift card or something. And she just went into Lane Bryant. To, she was just in there to pass time and look around. Like I said, another one that was just, just happened to be there. Yeah. But it was just mere happenstance that Jeannie <laughs> was on the path of this killer. And mm-hmm. like the other five shooting victims, she died through no fault of her own. But now, in addition to these five deceased women, there was an additional woman, like we talked about, that managed to survive, and they dubbed her Martha. Right. That was the name they gave her. Yep. And she was a 33-year-old part-time Lane Bryan employee who worked at the store on the weekends and spent the rest of her time going to school and nursing. I think she'd had another part-time job somewhere that had mm-hmm. been reported, but it didn't say where she worked. Right. But Martha, as she was called, had been able to survive the shooting by playing dead after getting shot in the neck and was then treated at the scene. And like we mentioned before, she was privately admitted to a local hospital and released the next day, but was kept in protective custody for fear that the gunman would come after her. Yeah, because she'd be the only witness. Yeah. And over the next several weeks, the she would speak to the police on numerous occasions and provide them with information that added to this story. Yeah. And she would remain the only eyewitness. And for that reason, much of what she told the police would become the official narrative of what happened that Saturday morning, dude. Now, despite surviving this this ordeal, Dale, Martha, she would write a letter to the loved ones of the other shooting victims, which was delivered to the press by the Tinley Park police. You know, basically, she she survived, but her, her recovery definitely wasn't easy. No, but this letter read... On Saturday, February the 2nd, an unspeakable tragedy occurred, and five of the bravest women I have ever met were senselessly murdered and taken from their families. The deepest sympathies and condolences go out to their families and friends. Please note that during the unfathomable events of that day, their thoughts were focused on you and coming home. My heart aches that they were unable to do so. I am working with the authorities in any way possible for all the victims. I ask that the media please respect all of our families and allow us to grieve and cope privately with this horrific crime that ripped our worlds apart i also ask that everyone respect that neither i nor my family can discuss the horrible events that day i thank everybody who has expressed concern and ask that any person who can assist in the investigation contact the authorities immediately wow Hmm. but now she did uh, move out of the area she didn't stay in that area at all. She right. moved uh, moved out of state. That's why it's been reported. Can you blame her? No. Mm-mm. So now the apparent motive for all this was um, robbery to begin with. Yeah. So I don't know, dude. I, I'm not buying the, the whole robbery thing. Don't, I don't either, man. It's just too much. No, you mean you've talked about this over and over. A lot. <laughs> A lot, yeah. And I, to me, I think one of the women in there were targeted. Yeah. That they were, something had happened and one of them women were targeted, dude. But really, which one do you think it would be? I don't know. Like we said, the only one that was supposed to be there was the only one that wasn't killed. I know. But now, one of the closest things that investigators could find to a lead on this was uh, a link to the church that store manager Rhoda McFarlane had once been involved with. Yeah, there was some lot of sketchy stuff going on there. Now, Rhoda had left this church for some personal reasons. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff going on, even with the with the pastor and some stuff, and a lot of uh, financial problems. Yeah, um, he had uh, done some sketchy stuff, and a lot of the the church people were finding out about it. Some of them, like I said, was financial. But it was like something where he had was borrowing money from the church to buy stuff. Like uh, I think he bought. Uh, like a million dollar house or something or something yeah, like that it's kind of sketchy then a lot of stuff she had signed off on but when it got to that part she hadn't signed off on that stuff and when she found out that was going on that's when she decided to leave and it said at one time the church you know had about a thousand member membership and it dropped down to close to 75 yeah after all this but you know even before all that happened or right after that happened um he decided he would take his family and all and move somewhere else to go to texas 
to start up another church and leave her to run that one, but she decided just to leave. Just to get out of it, yeah. But a lot of people said that that ain't why he left. There was some some, some other stuff going on. Even uh, there was one church where a guy got in trouble for sexual stuff and had spent a bunch of money to pay to buy his way out of that. Like hush money? Yeah, hush money. And then there was uh, like a... um, internet board whatever you call it like a message board mm-hmm. where someone had come on and said that i think you need to go check on this the same the pastor that she was working with for the same reasons and they basically had come on joined the, the thing posted this big long thing signed an announcement and then uh left and never posted anything else and a lot of people thought that that may have been rhoda mm-hmm. but they so, were thinking that uh, <clears throat> somebody from the church was coming after her yeah was targeting her could have been yeah that, could have been, yeah. It, it seems more like a damn mafia hit than anything, man. But I mean, I know I'm not saying that's what it was, but just the way it went down, you kind of just stroll in, la la la, nonchalant, and take them in the back, yeah, tape them up and shoot them in the head. Spending all that time in the store. Yeah, you ain't in there trying to get the money. Mm-mm. No, it don't don't make any sense to me. No, unless he was in there and maybe not sure which one he was targeting. Yeah, but hell, I mean, you ain't going to stay in there all day with what <laughs> people just keep coming in. Yeah. But you got a point there. Maybe he is waiting. Maybe, and, well, I don't know. It's 40 minutes. That's, that's a, a long that's time. a long time. Yeah. Because, you know, with a big sale that day, yeah, he probably didn't know there was a big sale, but still, you know, women are going to get out on Saturday morning and go shopping. Yeah. And then the store going to be open up. You're going to go get the $10 sale. Yeah. So, I wonder if he was just ready for more women to be coming in the store and just, and it just surprised me that more didn't come in. I mean, surely his plan wasn't, well, I'll just wait. They keep coming, I'll keep robbing them. You know, another one comes in, I'll rob him, tape him up, put him in the back. Was he going to stack the whole room full? Yeah. I don't I don't know what his his, his plan here just doesn't, doesn't make sense, if, even if he had one. I mean, mm. in hell, he had to be thinking ahead because he walks up with papers in his hand acting like he's a truck driver, like he's got an invoice or something. Yeah. You go, yeah, I got a I got a delivery and walk around the store like he's just low level nothing and then whoops a gun out. None of this makes sense. No. And there's one theory that's out there that I'm me and you toward leaning toward that uh, the gunman could have been a woman. Yeah, when you listen to the I've listened to several different nine one one calls and we'll we'll post as many as we can find. But uh where you can hear him hollering or hear them hollering and the person it's, it's, the gunman it's kind of a more of a higher pitch than you would think would be it's not a deeper voice right yeah and like you said nobody knows because i mean there's only one person going to tell you yeah um, and and you know the gunman groping a woman maybe they've done that just to maybe make them think that it was a man right you know and, you know and it said it had like a, a skull cap and then a, a big a winter coat that came down long you know in black jeans but, you know, if you got a coat on, you can appear to be bigger than you are. Yeah. yeah. And they're saying anywhere between 5'9 and 6'2. That's a big difference. Yeah. Around 200 pounds. And if you got a coat on, you can be a lot slimmer and look a lot bigger. Yeah. It's even anywhere from 5'9 to 6'2, but it could have been less than 5'9. Right. Oh, yeah. It could have been, they're saying it was two or three inches either way, it could be. Yeah. So, eh. I don't know. Yeah, but it's even possible. It's possible. There's one theory that the gunman was a drug addict who needed money for a quick fix, and you know, but I ain't, I'm not buying that. I, mean, I don't either. Uh-uh. If it was a quick fix, he'd go in there with shaking with a gun in his hand and sticking your face, take the money in the register, and run out the door. Yeah, he's not coming in there to camp out for forty minutes. No, forty minutes, dude. Yeah, in there in the back. You know, and like I said, most of the time if you're coming in to rob anybody, you're not looking to kill nobody, especially five damn people. Mm-mm. But now it became apparent to the police early on that there was a large quantity of evidence at their disposal, but they were unsure just how to prove it to be effective, dude. Right. Yeah, and I mean, they had that paperwork, and it had been reported that he left a cap there, but I hadn't seen anything about a, a baseball-type cap there no. anywhere else. I've just seen <clears throat> it one place. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. And I heard it one one other thing, Cindy, that actually he was carrying a cup of coffee when he came in with the papers. We keep mm-hmm. saying he, but we don't know, but you know what you mean. But uh, but I and I don't believe that either. Mm-mm. Did uh, and we don't know. Did the police recover those papers? Did he take them with him? We don't know. 
We don't know. I heard somewhere that they did recover, but then I hadn't heard anything about them being any part of evidence. I know. You know, it could have been the thing where he come in, you know, the reason he had killed everybody. He might have just got really pissed off when he found out, especially when he shot the woman in the head, in the forehead, and then just went, well, hell, now i got to kill them all. Yeah. I got 911 on the way. I got an um, emergency yes. yeah. on the way, and what do you do? Right. I mean... I don't know. Just this thing just it baffles me. But it had been reported that he used a uh, forty caliber Glock handgun. Yes. To commit these crimes. Yes. Yeah, so he wasn't playing around. No, he wasn't messing around. And that's not a cheap gun. But now, like we said, the Lane Bryant location there did not have any security cameras at all. Right. So no footage could be recovered showing the gunman. But the police didn't stop from looking at other cameras in the area, and they quickly found cameras at the target store there across the parking lot yeah but it was a few hundred feet away and about 100 yards away yeah and the, yeah. the footage was very blurry but you could only see just a couple of vehicles they even sent this uh video footage to nasa and the investigators there were able to see that two vehicles pulled up in front of the lane bryant that morning and around the time of the shooting but you know, everything we've heard that the gunman come in through the back door. So I just this makes me wonder too if uh, the gunman was let out at the back and went in, and the the maybe uh, accomplice went or drove all the way around to the front, maybe waited on him. That would be stupid. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, because they said they saw uh, like a small SUV, black, and then a black sedan. Mm-hmm. They didn't see anybody get in, get out. They couldn't tell nothing. You can't see because it's so far away, but. That could be anybody. Yeah. In my opinion. In my opinion, the the, the ride was in the back. Uh, I just don't I don't think nobody's going in or out of the front and not get seen. Yeah. There's not enough time. But now the gunman was described as being a black man with medium complexion who was somewhere between the ages of twenty five and thirty five and he stood somewhere between five nine and six foot tall, like we said, who was clean shaven and was described as being husky. And in some early reporting he had broad shoulders and a proportional build with his weight being estimated somewhere between 200 and 230 pounds. Right. With the big coat on, it's kind of hard to tell, but yeah, yes. I, I get that. And this man had a receding hairline and black hair, which had pulled back into a handful of puffy cornrows. Right. So then you hear that, and then you go, well, how do you know? If he, if he had on a skull cap, how the hell do you know if he had a receding hairline? I mean, unless it was like a, a stocking cap or something you can see through. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's A lot of this is wishy-washy. Yeah. But a lot of it's counter, counterproductive to me because I'm like, I just don't understand none of this. It just doesn't make any damn sense. And then he gets away. Yeah. Gone. Poof. But the killer had no visible scars or tattoos, and at the time of the shooting, he was wearing a dark-colored winter coat, a dark gray skull cap, and black jeans that had rhinestones on the back pocket, which appeared to be in the shape of a cursive G. Hmm. And there was a police sketch that was put together in the weeks after the shooting with the cooperation of the surviving eyewitness and was finally released to the public on February the 11th. This was nine days after the shooting. And within a single day, this had led to more than a dozen tips being received by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And we'll post a picture of the sketch. Right. You know, and then later they did find there was a home invasion somewhere of the guy who looked just like this dude. Yeah. Except for he didn't have his hair braided, and he also had a Glock 40. So they thought they had their guy, and they took him in and arrested a couple other guys with this home invasion. And then uh, come to find out, they found out that he didn't buy the gun until after this. Yeah. So, like, well, he couldn't couldn't commit a murder without a gun he ain't bought yet. This is true. So they had to let him go on this, but they still got him on the home invasion, but... So they didn't think it was the same guy. There's also the slight possibility that they might have been a, a jilted Lane Bryant customer, but there's no evidence to support uh, this killer being a woman other than online gossip, and they don't have anything else to go on that. Right. Well, I would think it'd be more of a, not a customer, but more of a mad at one of the women in there for doing something else. Could have been. If that was the case. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to go, well, I bought this <laughs> They 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 shit me, so I'm gonna go in there and kill everybody in the store. But yeah, they hadn't released a lot of stuff on this. And if this Martha person, I just wonder if she told authorities that the shooter could possibly have known one of the women. 
Well, they said that they ran, you know, they did go through, go check everybody's background and seemed, seemed that nobody had any connection with Talked to all the families and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that don't mean that everybody knows, but they did look into it, yes. Yeah. And they couldn't find any connection. Like I said, they, they really haven't let a lot of details out about, you know, shoe prints and DNA and hair and fibers or any of that stuff. Apparently, they got some kind of shoe print if they were checking this guy's shoes in the parking lot. Yeah. So I'm guessing there's probably bloody shoe prints in there. You know, you think if he's if he shot six people, there's some blood everywhere. And police unveiled a new 3D image of the gunman, which added more life to the killer's description than the prior sketch. And this has been created in cooperation with the Michigan State Police and led to dozens of new tips and leads. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like any of these tips have no that was one of the 10 year anniversary yeah it was um and that was like the 15th yeah, was yeah just past the 15th anniversary and still nothing nothing man but lane bryant did do pretty good by all this you know they donated a bunch of stuff and um a lot of money and stuff in these people's name and then offered to pay for all the funerals but there is a a toll-free number that people can call dale okay and it has the full 911 call on there and you can also leave a tip at this number well, it's got an edited version of that one call. yeah but this number is 866-853-6222 say it again 866-853-6222 thank you and this number has the tip line also if you yeah. have a tip you can leave a tip and you can also listen to the 911 call all right yep if anybody has any information please contact Law enforcement. Yep. By that number. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But these are some brave women. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Just wrong place, wrong time. I hate it for them. Yep. Sad. But um, just makes me wonder if the Martha, you know, I mean, I'm sure she looks over her shoulder every day. You know? Oh, yeah. You see some braids and green, green dots flipping out. Yep. All right, dude. We are going to get out of here, bud. All right, let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.